Great. Good morning. Good to see you all. And uh, yeah, we do love our students. Nice to see some students here in the room with us this morning as we gather. And welcome to you if you're joining us on the live stream. Uh, my name's Richard Stamp. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, great, to, great, to see, great to see you. I'm, uh, I'm excited this morning to be um, introducing a new preaching series. Uh, as you can see, it's called The Cross. And uh, uh, we've subtitled it Delighting in the Finished Work of Christ, because that's what we are called to do and that's what we want to do. We've obviously just come through Easter and spent some time examining uh, events that led up to the cross, to the death of Christ, and uh, his subsequent resurrection from the dead and what that means for us. But we also wanted to take some time over the next eight weeks to examine a bit more closely some of the fundamentals of uh, Christ's achievements on our behalf at the cross and, uh, and how at the cross we see most clearly how God operates and demonstrates his love for us and has always related to his creation throughout all of history. At the cross, we see the very truest essence of who God is and what he's like and what he's done. Now, of course, if you've been a believer for any length of time, you'll know that at the, at the most basic level, Jesus' death on the cross makes us right with God by taking away our sins. That's because on the cross, he pays for us on our behalf the death penalty that hung over us because of our rebellion against God. And we now use words to describe ourselves like justified and ransomed and rescued and restored. And these are really important words to kind of get into the meat and the guts of and try and understand well. And so we want to use these next eight weeks to look more closely at what those words actually mean and how we are to live in light of them. And also, uh, our prayer is really that, um, that we have a, a better view of the price that was paid for us at the cross as well. Just talked about this on Good Friday, but sometimes we can have a picture of the cross, which is really sanitized. Uh, Renaissance art hasn't necessarily always helped with this. When you see a picture of a blonde-haired Jesus smiling on the cross, that wasn't at all what it was like. It, of course, might express something of the cross, but it doesn't do justice to the absolute shame and brutality and the injustice and the disgrace of the cross that Jesus endured for our sake. And um, it's important to reflect on verses like the one that will come up on the screen now in Isaiah 53. Uh, we see that he was despised and rejected. He was a man of suffering. He was punished by God. He was stricken and afflicted. He was pierced and he was crushed for us. God laid on him the sin of us all. So we must see clearly the price that Jesus paid for us, and we want you to see the absolute centrality of the cross in all human history. So we're going to take these next eight weeks, as I said, to look at eight themes that help us to see uh, the cross more fully, understand the work of Christ more fully, and how we might therefore more fully delight in that. Now today, uh, I want to look at the cross within the context of an Old Testament story, the story of the Passover and the Exodus, and specifically today, how at the cross, Jesus rescues us from slavery. 
Okay, so I'm going to start this morning by reading a song from Scripture and then working backwards to help you to understand what that song means. It's a little bit like when you watch a TV drama and it starts with a climactic scene and you're like, how did we get here? And then it says, 24 hours earlier. Um, and then the story goes on to explain how we got to that climax. That's, that's kind of what I'm going to try and do today. Now, many of you will already know the story of the Exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea, how God helped his people, Israel, led by Moses, to cross the Red Sea by parting the waters as they escaped from Pharaoh in Egypt. And the story also tells of how Pharaoh and the Egyptian army follows Israel into the sea with the intention of striking them down and killing them. But God causes the sea to crash over the Egyptians and wipes them out. We'll look at that story in quite a bit of detail today, but I want to start with the song of victory that Moses sings as the people make it to dry land on the other side of the waters. You can imagine they would have been exhausted and terrified, and they look back on this dry land they found themselves on, and they see their enemy comprehensively destroyed behind them as the sea closes over them. And this is the song that Moses sings. This is Exodus 15 from verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he is hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, Awesome in glory, working wonders. And so far as the Old Testament goes, possibly the story that stands out and speaks loudest of all is the story of the Passover and of the exodus from Egypt, of the Israelites' people. If you ask most Jews today which story in their scriptures most defines and shapes them and their relationship with God, they're likely to say the Passover and the Exodus. And so for us, as a people for whom the Old Testament is an indispensable part of our whole Bible, we should see this in similar terms as well. And now, likewise, in the New Testament, there are hundreds of stories of churches springing up and miracles and the spread of the gospel. But the mountain peak story that peers above them all is the cross of Christ. In fact, I want to propose to you today that 
the story, the account of, the historical account that peers above any other story in all of history, the creation of the universe, the formation of the Greek and Roman empires, the First and Second World Wars, they've all shaped us. But the cross stands above all of those stories in terms of its impact in our lives and its reality as well. And so, as we start this series viewing the cross from different angles and different perspectives, today I want us to look at these two very shaping stories in Scripture, the Passover and the Exodus and the cross. And as we do, I want you to see how the Passover and the Exodus doesn't just point to the cross. It does do that, but it also gives a complete shape, a pattern for how God works in all of history and amongst his people through all of the scriptures, the story of the Passover and the Exodus should better help us to understand what God might be doing as we face various situations in life, especially situations that seem tricky and seem hopeless, and how closely it relates to how God has worked on our behalf at the cross. I want to pray for us before I go on. This story really spoke to me as I was preparing it this week, which you'd hope. But um, God just did a real work in my life, and I'm expecting he will in yours as well, in terms of um, helping me to and us to understand how he works when it feels like the odds are against you and it feels like there might not be uh, an escape route or whatever it is that you're facing. So I just want to pray that the impact of these stories really uh, affect you and impact you Um, powerfully this morning. Father, I thank you so much for this story that we're about to look at of the Passover in Egypt, of people in slavery, of uh, people who were under fire and under threats by the enemy, and how you, against all the odds, made a way, how that's what you've done through all of history, created an escape route for your people, a rescue for your people, that we can rest in that plan this morning, and that we can know its truth in our lives every day. Jesus, please help us to Uh, receive these words well, and to apply them to our lives in a way that brings freedom. This morning, I pray. Amen. Amen. So, let's look at the story. Now, I'm going to span this morning between Exodus 12 and 15, which tells the story of the Passover and the Exodus. And I'm going to just pick out some highlights from the story and then kind of superimpose that onto what we see thousands of years later at the cross. Let me just give you the backstory, just in case you're not aware. So, God's people at the point of the Passover, Israel, have been in slavery for 400 years, uh, and things have got progressively worse for them to the point that they are treated as the slave force of the mighty Pharaoh in Egypt. So day and night, they are uh, under the driving whips of the slave drivers in Egypt, and they're basically building cities and statues under the tyranny of this all-powerful Pharaoh who proclaims himself a god. And as new generations are born into the Israelites, for 400 years they're born straight into a life of slavery. Imagine that. They've all but abandoned their worship of God. They are a hopeless, futureless people under a lifetime sentence of hard labor. Until one day, it says, God appears to Moses from a burning bush. And he, see, he says to Moses, I see the plight and the misery of my people. And he has compassion on them. And he decides that the time has come to deliver them from this plight and to bring the people out of Egypt 
and into a new land, a land of abundance where they'll be free to establish themselves and to become the people that they were always intended to be, a people of the worship of God. And so the way he's going to do this is by sending Moses, this ordinary man, to the mighty Pharaoh. And Moses is to tell Pharaoh that enough is enough, that he's to let God's people go, let the Israelites go, so that they can be free to leave Egypt and worship God. And of course, most of you will know what happens next. Pharaoh refuses. He mocks Moses. He mocks God. And so one by one, God sends plagues against Pharaoh. He turns the Nile River to blood, and Pharaoh refuses. And God sends a plague of frogs, and then a plague of lice, and nothing. And then a plague of flies, nothing. God wipes out their cattle. Pharaoh digs his heels in. Painful skin boils, no movement. Hail and fire from the sky, a plague of locusts and just nada. And so we get to the end of these nine plagues, and God decides it's time to turn the volume right up. And he says to Moses, okay, this time I'm going to send a plague so bad that Moses will literally drive you, sorry, Pharaoh will literally drive you out of his land. I'm going to take the firstborn, firstborn creature of every single thing, so boy, girl, cattle, whatever, and I'm going to take their life. I'm going to fully and finally get Pharaoh's attention, and I'm going to end his stubbornness and his rebellion against me and his oppression of my people. And so Moses goes and warns Pharaoh, and still Pharaoh refuses. And so God says, okay, it's time for me now, Moses, to prepare the Israelites for what's coming. And so he tells them how to prepare for what's going to happen, how to stay safe, and how to get ready to leave Egypt. So we're going to pick up the story here in Exodus 12. I'm just going to pick out a few verses. This is a chapter, Exodus 12, called the Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, Take the whole community of Israel, that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. On that same night... I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. There it is in verse 13. I will pass pass over you. Hence, we get the meaning of Passover, which is an event that's been celebrated by Jews every year since then. Slaughter a lamb, paint some of its blood over your home, and this blood will serve as a sign that when death comes to your land, it will pass over you. Passover. Okay, so I want you to note four key themes here for the Israelites. A lamb is required. Sacrifice is required. Blood is required as the means by which the plague of death will pass over you. Look what's happening in the story. 
Death is coming to you Israelites. So tonight, I want you to eat a meal. A meal. I'd be packing my bags, filling up with diesel and revving on the driveway, shouting at Vix and the kids to get in the car and to keep quiet. If, if death is coming to town, I don't want to be here. I'm out of here. No, God says, prepare a feast. You're going to stop and rest and observe and learn to trust that I have got this all figured out. Don't panic. I'm in control. What you need to do, and what I'm going to encourage you, Gateway, this morning with, is not to run for the hills. It's to do exactly what I, the Lord, say. And what I say will be the only thing that protects you from death. That's a really helpful model for us to adopt. In the face of uncertainty, don't panic. Rest in the God that we know. The night before Jesus was crucified, what did he do? He sounds like he might rather have headed for the hills at one point. He says, Father, will you take this cup from me? But instead, in absolute trust and obedience of the Father, he sat down with his friends and he ate a meal. What meal did he eat? He ate the Passover meal with them. Luke 22, 7 and 8 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. That very night, the night of Jesus' last supper, death was coming to Jerusalem. In fact, death had come to mankind many thousands of years before in the Garden of Eden. Death was and still is our mighty Pharaoh. It's the slave driver that rules over us all. But this night in Jerusalem, a Passover meal would be eaten that would precede the event that changed mankind's relationship with death forever, the cross. And I want to show you today how the cross is our Passover. That night, Jesus ate the Passover feast, and then the perfect unblemished lamb of God goes to his slaughter. And on the cross, his blood is spilled. And just like the blood on the doorpost of the Israelites all those years before when they were in Egypt, when God looks at us now, he doesn't see slaves worthy of death. He sees the spilled blood of the lamb that covers over us, and he considers us freedmen ready to be brought out of a land of slavery and into a land of abundance and freedom. Listen to this verse from 1 Peter 1.18. I'm just going to paraphrase this. For it was not with silver and gold that you were rescued from the death that you live under, but with the precious blood of Christ, who is a lamb without blemish or defect. The Passover, can you see, is our story. The blood of the Lamb that causes death to pass over us, that's our story. Being set free from slavery to death, that's our story. That's the story of the cross where our Savior went to his death with our freedom in his sights. At the Passover and at the cross, a lamb is required. A lamb is offered up for sacrifice. Blood is spilled And the plague of death passes over the people of God. At the Passover, 
Pharaoh is struck and removed from his throne by the might of God. He's stripped of his power and his potency, and he's subjected to open ridicule in the land. He couldn't even rule over the fate of his own household, let alone rival God. At the cross, another slave driver, another tyrant was disarmed and subjected to open ridicule. Satan was comprehensively defeated. Jesus was glorified, and when he rose from the dead, death was comprehensively set aside as an enemy of the people of God. Our Passover lamb has conquered every pharaoh in every generation by his blood that was spilled at the cross. Our Passover has come in the truest sense. You no longer need to live under the tyranny of a slave driver. It's why the Apostle Paul beats his chest and roars out, Oh, death, where is your sting? Because of Jesus, because of the cross, we will one day pass through death and come out the other side to a new life for eternity with Jesus, where there will be no more pharaohs, no more death, no more slavery. As Jesus said on the cross with his final words, it is finished. That's our story. But there's more, because when you're freed from slavery, generally you aren't handed a, a perfect new life and a house and the keys to a new car. You flee from slavery, but you've also got to find a place to settle and build something of your life. The Passover story shows us that at the cross, Jesus covered that one for us too. Soon after the death of all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, the Israelites head out into the desert where God has promised to lead them into a new land, but not so fast. Pharaoh suddenly comes to his senses, and in a fit of rage, he realizes that he's just let his entire labor force go, and what's more, they are the ones who are responsible for his ruin. And so he gathers his army, and he decides to give chase, and they're going to strike the Israelites down in the desert. So he does that. And this poor ragtag crowd of women and children and young and old who are dragging their kind of meager possessions behind them, they're trying to escape from Egypt, and they're daring to trust in God. They look up, and they see the most fearsome war machine that the world has ever seen, Pharaoh and his army, and they're on horseback, and they're riding in chariots, and their armor and their weaponry is on full terrifying display. And then it gets worse because they look behind them, and in the other direction is the sea. They're utterly trapped. But it's been my own experience, and I'm sure for many of you as well, that when you feel most trapped and most oppressed, when you feel like you're in the most hopeless situations, is when God, our rescuer and redeemer, shows himself in the most glorious ways. Let's pick up the story again in Exodus 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. I would be too. And they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, just leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. This is one of the most glorious lines in all of Scripture. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to just move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord, who'd been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and of Israel. That throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so that neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud of the Egyptian army, and he threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against us. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Sure, this story, the Passover, the Exodus, and the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, people, that's our story. Jews today celebrate the Passover meal around the time that we would refer to as Easter. And as they do so, they retell the story to each other. Generation after generation, they tell it to each other. And they remind each other of how God brought them out of slavery and helped them cross the Red Sea and how he destroyed their enemies. And they never tell it as a story of other people who lived in Egypt a thousand years ago, thousands of years ago. They tell it as our story. They say, do you remember when God brought us out of Egypt? The Passover story, the Exodus story, this is our story. We too were once an enslaved people. We too were once ruled over by Satan and his death. We too were once a dispossessed people without a home. And the armies of darkness were bearing down on us. And there was no escape route. Until the cross. Until the cross. He alone at the cross has turned the plague of death on its head through the sacrifice of God's firstborn son at the Passover. He alone at the cross defeats the tyrant ruler Satan and he hurls him and his cohorts into the sea. 
He alone at the cross takes us from the land of our suffering and slavery, and he makes a way for us through the temple curtain that is permanently forever ripped open for us to enter into God's presence and through the waters of baptism into which we have passed into a land of hope and freedom where we can now be the people that we were designed to be, the worshippers of God with an abundant future in him. This is our Exodus story, and it was achieved by Jesus at the cross. Now, as we look through the lens of what Jesus has done for us at the cross and what God has always done for his people in protecting and rescuing and providing safe passage out of slavery and bringing salvation to a people under a death sentence, let's go back to the start and just revisit that victory song of Moses from Exodus 15. And I'd, I'd love it if you just uh, read this with me. Just a few verses. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You will bring your people in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The Lord reigns forever and ever. People, horse and rider, he has hurled into the sea. Satan, he has hurled into the sea. He has been our defense and he is our salvation. He has shattered our enemy and he has brought us into the place of his inheritance. Surely the Lord reigns forever and ever. What better way for us to respond now than to worship the Passover lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and does that by his blood poured out for us at the cross, sets us free from the slavery of death. Let's adore him together. Father, thank you for this incredible story we see thousands of years ago to a dispossessed, enslaved people with no hope, no future, ruled over from the outside by a, a tyrant, and how it's modeled everything that our Savior Jesus has achieved for us on the cross by overthrowing the great tyrant, freeing us from the slavery of sin and of death, self-condemnation, doubt, guilt, all those things have been dealt with now on the cross. We no longer need to live under the slavery of a tyrant because our champion and our king has conquered on the cross and victory is ours. Jesus, thank you that you have taken us, a ragtag people, and you've delivered us from slavery and placed us in the land of hope. Jesus, this morning we worship and we glorify you. Please help us to apply this story to our lives that we might live lives of hope and freedom and bring glory to you in all that we do. Amen.